Hope your weekend was fun and uh, restful. Uh, we've been in this series that we started last week called Convictions, and um, yeah, it's it's been sweet. I'm really excited about this series. Uh, basically, we're just going, we're looking at things where they're not just a big deal to us in Chi Alpha, but they're things where we've seen God highlight these things over and over in Scripture. He's put a tremendous amount of importance on these things, and so we're looking at Him to see, hey, what is this, and how do I live this out to the best of my ability in my life? Uh, I remember in high school, so basically I was having a conversation with my family, and I just happened to say, hey, I don't like honking the horn. I rarely do it. And my mom like kind of freaked out, and she was like, hey, why don't you ever honk the horn? That's really important. You need to make sure that you honk the horn. And I was like, look, I, all right, cool, I'll do it. I honk the horn. I don't know why it's such, such a big deal. And so I actually ended up borrowing her car later on that day. So I went and got her keys from her, and she was like, hey, make sure you honk the horn. And I was like, I know. Thank you. And so I took the keys, and right before I drove off, she ran outside and said, hey, Jordan, just make sure you honk the horn if you need to. And I was like, okay, see you later. Bye. And so I drove off. Well, someone backed up for like 50 yards in a parking lot, and my car was sitting there, and the lights were on, but I didn't honk the horn. And so they backed right into me, and when I told my mom, she said, first thing she said was, hey, did you honk the horn? And I said, no. She was pretty mad, but she was mad because she told me something that she really cares about, and I didn't do it. God, God really cares about some things in Scripture, and he highlights them over and over and over again. And so we're going to look at something tonight that is a continuation from last week, and I'm so excited. Last week we talked about the gospel and how that is important, how huge it is, how the entire Bible, it's, it's the heartbeat of the Bible, the gospel. We talked about a lot of things last week. We talked, we talked from Romans chapter 1 and, you know, Romans 1, 16 through 17. We talked about how the gospel, a lot of people, it bothers a lot of people because the one thing that it says is that we don't have everything together and that we need help and that we're powerless to fix ourselves. And that's why we need, that's why we needed God to intervene. And then Paul talks about how he's unashamed of the gospel, how he is willing to lay down everything for the gospel and how that not only is something that he's passionate about, it's something that he is eager because the opposite of shame is not willingness, it's eager, it's eagerness. He's eager to tell everyone about the gospel, just like Thomas was talking about. And we also talked about how the gospel is power. It's real power in our lives to actually see our sins forgiven, and to see real change happen in our lives. All these things are what the gospel is, but that leaves us with a question. The gospel, yes, I am to believe in the gospel, but what does that look like every day? How do I live in the gospel? How do I live the gospel each and every day? And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. I'm pretty excited about it. I think it's it's so cool. I, I don't think this is necessarily talked about a lot. Huge conviction of mine that I'm always fighting to be an even bigger conviction in my life because I think by the end of this, you'll realize this is a really big deal, big deal to God. And so we want to get this right. One mistake I think a lot of people make when they talk about Christianity, and I even make this mistake, is they talk about Christianity like it is a negative like it's a math problem where you only subtract. Like all Christianity is, is what you don't do. You know what I'm talking about? Like, 
oh, hey, I became a Christian, so, you know, I can't go on high street anymore. Sorry, tailpipes. Sorry, lots of matzah, but yeah, I can't, I can't do that anymore. And yeah, I'm a Christian now, so you know I can't curse, bro. And also, hey, I'm a Christian, so we can't go see this movie unless it has, you know, less than 2.6 curse words in it. And also, you know, if it shows anybody's ankles or, you know, shoulders, then I can't really see that either. So, you know, because I'm a Christian now. And then also, you know, probably can't eat gluten because, well, <laughs> you know, gluten's not really popular, so obviously Jesus wouldn't like gluten. And... uh yeah, but, but that, that's how we look at it. We look at Christianity in regards to what you don't do. But that's not the gospel. That's not living in the gospel. Christianity, living in Christianity, is about faith in God. Trusting him every day in everything. And this is a, an extremely practical thing in and it's so much behind every decision that you make. And I think you'll see that by the end. But I'm going to go right back to the same scripture we were in last week because Paul lays it out perfectly. And so it's all there. We looked at Romans 1, 16 and 17 last week, and we'll look at it once again. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul quotes Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk. There you go, Damani. You always wonder why we don't talk about the small minor prophets. There you go. You're happy now. Habakkuk. He quotes Habakkuk 2.4. The just shall live by faith. That's it. That's all of it right there. Living in the gospel. We said something last week. We said that the righteousness of God is revealed, is revealed in the gospel. What do we mean by that? We said how God, we were, we, were, we were in a tough spot, and God needed to act. And what did he do? He came through. He sent his only begotten son to die and rise for us, to make this new life available to all of us. We talked about how he is the, the hero of the gospel what am I getting at when I say this God has already shown us how faithful he is and he not only shows us that in what he did in the gospel but he shows us that every day it says in Psalms 8 it says what is a man that you are mindful of him Lord God and that you care for the sons of man what how crazy is that that God is interested in every aspect of your life. And whether you, whether you know it or not, he is acting and he's working in every part of your life. Why am I saying this? Because Paul says a really interesting statement in Romans. At the end of verse 17 or in the middle of it, he says, For the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. What he's saying with that is, is that it is from faith that we put our faith. God has already revealed how faithful he is to us. And then it is from knowing that faithfulness that we keep going forward. I love how John, Christopher, your boy, John Stott, I just saw you, now I can't see you, but you're over there somewhere. Christopher, Christopher's a big fan of John Stott. And I'm about to quote him. He said, God's faithfulness to his promises 
and in the life of life and death of Jesus Christ always comes first. And ours is never other than a response of faith. His promises to us and what he did through Jesus Christ. He has shown how faithful he is to you. And so living in the gospel is trusting him to continue to be faithful to him or to be faithful to you and us trusting in that. That's it. It's really simple. It's really simple. I um, Have any of y'all ever heard of the five love languages? Five love languages are awesome. Katie, when Katie and I were dating, you know, back in college, like Christopher said a a couple years ago, uh, when Katie and I were dating, I would, you know, I was, you know, I I had to kind of show out, you know, I had to impress her. So we would go on these big dates, long dates where it's been like half a day in Houston. It's like an hour and a half away from us. And we would go and go to these restaurants where they were way out of my price range like way, way out of my price range. I was broke, and so, but I was trying to impress her, so I couldn't let her see that it was out of my price range. And so we go to these places where the only thing I could afford was like dessert and water. And so when they, when they came over and they said, hey, what do you want to drink? I'd be like, um, I'm going to get a water, and that's free, right? <laughs> and they'd be like, yeah, it's free. Okay, but it's free, though. It's like, it's like no charge. It's like nothing else. They'd be like, yeah, okay, but it's free. Like, I was so terrified of the bill, so terrified. But I had no idea that those dates meant so much to Katie. Years later, I found out that one of her biggest love languages is is quality time. And so later on, I found out, man, this is great. You should do this more often. I'm glad I didn't do it more often because I couldn't afford it. But it was, that, that was one of her biggest love languages. And with God, one of his biggest love languages is faith. Honestly, I really believe that God's three biggest love languages are faith, obedience, and love. We're not going to talk much about love tonight, but we will talk a little bit about obedience and a whole lot about faith. Faith and obedience. If you want to please God, put your faith in him. And if you think I'm exaggerating about that, I'm not. Now, I'm going to use faith and trust interchangeably tonight because I just think trust is an easier way for my mind to understand faith. Trust is sim- Faith is simply trusting in, like, if I have faith in you, then I'm going to put my trust in you. That's it. Like, so I'm going to use them interchangeably. If you get confused, I'm sorry. Faith, trust, same thing. Jesus talked a whole lot about faith, a ton. In fact, did you know, did you know that in, in the Bible, it only says that Jesus was amazed two times. Actually, it might have been three. But each time had to do with faith. Once, he was, he was amazed at the faith of a, centuri- of, a, of a Roman soldier. He was amazed at his level of faith. It said also that he was af- amazed at the lack of faith of his hometown. I think it also says, but I, I didn't have this in my notes, but I think it also says that he was amazed at the faith of a woman whose daughter was demon-possessed and asked for him to be to heal her. This woman was from, from not, not of Israel, a uh, Syrophoenician woman, if you ever want to look it up. But three times that he was amazed, it all had to do with faith. He was never amazed at the level of sin in people's lives. Isn't that interesting? 
You, did you know that it also says that Jesus never blew up at anyone over, their, over the amount of sin in their life unless he was going off on the Pharisees for their pride? He did get mad at that visibly. But outside of that, he didn't go off on other people for other sins. It's really interesting. Like the woman who was caught in adultery, she actually is like caught in the act of adultery. We don't know where the man was, but that's a whole other issue. But she was caught in the act of adultery. You know, they throw her before Jesus and she is in an, in, 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 in an immense amount of shame. And Jesus is so patient with her. Did you know that it never says that Jesus couldn't work a miracle in someone's life because of the amount of sin in their life? Isn't that interesting? But it does say that Jesus couldn't work a miracle in someone's life because of the lack of faith in their heart. It does say that. And it does say that Jesus was visibly and many times just let it out how frustrated he was about the lack of faith that he that his disciples and the people around him had and if y'all think i'm like exaggerating this so like getting really excited and about man maybe you just been reading a lot about faith and so you just want to talk about it no nah, I'm, I'm gonna read some stuff for you just so because so you don't think i'm lying it says in, in matthew 8 10 it says when jesus heard this he marveled and said to those who had followed him truly i tell you that no one in israel has had as much faith is this man, he's talking about the centurion. In Matthew 6, 5 through 6, it says, and he could do no mighty works there. This is his hometown, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled at their unbelief. It says in Matthew 8, 23 through 27, it says, when he got into the boat and his disciples followed him, he told, or, there arose a great storm on the sea, so the boat was being swamped with the waves, but he was asleep in the boat. And they went and woke him up and said, save us, Lord, don't you, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Oh, oh, you of little faith. Then he rose and rebuked the winds in the sea. If you ever want to see Sean do a demonstration on that, it's quite entertaining. But then he rebuked the winds in the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this, that even the winds and the waves obey him? And Peter answered to him, this is Matthew 14, it says, and Peter answered to him, Jesus is walking on water. He said, Lord, if that is you, command me and I'm going to come to you. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying, oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? And when he got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Faith is a really big deal. It's a really big deal. Hebrews 11.6 says this, And without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That's a sweet verse. You should, you should, you know, that's one of those ones you should kind of write down and remember, you know, just, just, yeah, you, you should remember that. Jesus constantly made this appeal to men, have faith in me. That was always what he was asking for. He wasn't, he didn't ask like, hey, get your life together. Hey, stop doing bad things. It was, it was constantly an appeal 
on behalf of faith. And you know why I think he, he, it was like this? It's because if you really look at the way that faith works out in someone's life, faith does not, you can have a pretty good record, but a good record won't give you faith in God. But you could have faith in God, and that will definitely bring about a better record. Sinlessness does not cast out doubt in God. It doesn't create faith. But faith in God does eventually clean up your life. Obedience always follows faith. It's like, it's like faith is pregnant with obedience. It's, it's going to come out eventually. It's there. It's just there. If you trust God, you'll obey God. That's why we should fight to trust him and not necessarily think of Christianity as making sure I don't do this, this, and this. If I trust you, I won't do this, this, and this. I think Tim Keller says it really well. Obedience flows out of faith. It is a consequence of saving faith, not a second condition of salvation. Yes, trust and obedience our love languages of God. And if you fight to trust him, you will obey him. So we know why faith is a big deal, but what is faith? Hebrews 11 one says it really well. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. This is really cool. This is saying that faith is not faith in faith. Oh, okay, I just really believe it's going to happen. No, it is faith in a person. It is faith in God. We don't have faith in faith. We have faith in God. And I got a really long C.S. Lewis quote, but don't worry, it's C.S. Lewis. So, of course, you'll love it because who doesn't like C.S. Lewis? And if you want to know where it's from, Mere Christianity, I almost brought some books to just hand them out, but not tonight, another night. Now, faith in the sense in which I am here using the word is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods for moods will change whatever view your reason takes I know that by experience now that I am a Christian I do have moods in which the whole thing looks very improbable but when I was an atheist I had moods in which Christianity looked terribly probable This rebellion of your moods against your real self is going to come anyway. That is why faith is such a necessary virtue. Unless you teach your moods where they get off, you can never be either a sound Christian or even a sound atheist, but just a creature dithering to and fro with its beliefs really dependent on the circumstances of the day. He also said salvation is the change from being obedient from our own efforts to the state in which we despair of doing anything for ourselves and we leave it to God. We trust not because a God exists, but because this God exists. That's some good stuff. Faith is the opposite of sight. How can I say that? How can I say that faith is how can you look at the world around you and say 
I'm looking at a chair, but is that like really a chair? It's like, I'm not saying like matrix stuff or like, I'm not, I haven't been reading a whole lot about that. Oh, I forgot his name all of a sudden. Blank. The, the mathematician, Descartes. There we go. Do I, do I exist? You know, y'all, y'all really took a break on MLK day. Y'all ain't thinking about nothing. You know, this is, this is, this is a day off, Jordan. Look, all right, it's, it's cool. But how can you look at the things going around you and say like, what is, what is God talking about regarding this faith is, it's, it's not looking, it's not looking, but it is looking. What, what is all that about? Because God is more real than the world around us. And that is what Jesus is constantly trying to get us to see. God is more real than the world that you see. He's more real than the comments that people make around you. He's more real than some of the lies that your mind is telling you about who you are and what you're worth and how valuable or invaluable you are. God is more real than these grades and this this diploma that you're hoping to get in the end. God is more real than your fluid circumstances. God is more real than your feelings. That is what Jesus is trying to get us to see. And if you think I'm if you think I'm exaggerating this, Hebrews 11:3 says, "By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. The physical was created by the spiritual." So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Jesus didn't condemn this world as being necessarily wicked. He disparaged it mainly as being unreal or less real. Before I say how we actually have faith. I want to say a couple things about what faith is not. I've already said faith is not just faith in faith. But another thing that faith is not is faith is not is not this special ability that a few people have. It's not like a gift, you know. It's not like some people get just got the middle chlorians of of faith, and so you know they're just born with the force of faith, and they just they're just able to do it. You know, it's just it's just natural. But you you don't have enough middle chlorians, and so you're just left out when it comes to faith. It didn't work like that. It doesn't. It's a Star Wars joke, sorry. Uh, some of y'all are like, man, what is going on? Star Wars, midichlorians, a force. It's, it's MLK Day. It's MLK Day, sorry. Sorry. Y'all taking a break, I get it. But it, Star Trek, get out of here, man. Get out of here with that. Star Trek. But faith is not, faith, faith is not the special ability that some people are just born with. Faith is something that all of us have and use at every moment. It's just a matter of where we put it. We all have faith, and and I'll explain that more in a second. But faith is also, it's not pretending that something is there that isn't really there. It's not like, okay, you know, I got a paper due tomorrow, so I'm going to have faith that this, you know, that... I'm going to have faith that that monster energy drink is going to turn into a completed paper when I wake up in the morning. That, that, that's not how faith works. That, it is not making what is not there. It's not putting it there. Like, that is not faith. But another thing that faith is not is faith is not something that only religious people do. <laughs> that's not faith either. And I hope I don't lose anyone on this, but I just couldn't leave this out and 
doing okay on time. Atheism is a faith assumption, and so is agnosticism. They're both faith assumptions. They're faith assumptions about the world around us. It is not faith versus reason when we talk about these things. It's faith versus faith. I'm going to read this quote by Tim Keller. Not too long. It's not up there, though, so you just have to listen real hard. It takes faith to doubt Christianity because any worldview, including secularism or skepticism, is based on assumptions. For example, the person who says, I can do only... I can only believe in something if it can be rationally and empirically proven must realize that this itself is a statement of faith. Furthermore, there are all sorts of things that you can't prove rationally or empirically. You can't prove to me that you are not really a butterfly dreaming you're a person. Haven't you seen the matrix? You can't prove to me that most things you believe. You can't prove to me most things that you believe. So at least recognize that you have faith. I normally make this point considering any objection to Christianity to show that at the heart of all objections to Christianity is a faith assumption where you have put your faith in something else rather than in God. All unbelief is a faith assumption. If you don't have, if, I'm sorry, I was almost not going to use this example, but I just love this example too much. I use it probably once a semester and so it's so good. Why not just use it again? It's like, It's like when you're in that situation where you're looking at that person who you know you should not be trying to date. And this person has a super sketchy reputation. But you're like, ah, you know what? I'm a little different. Like, I'm sure I can change them. And so you start, you're like, like, hey, you whisper to a friend, hey, I'm talking to so-and-so. And and they're like, what are you doing? No, that's a terrible idea. Don't try to date so-and-so. They did this to so, they they did this to this person, this person. You know all this. Why are you trying to date them? It's like, yeah, but I think I'm different. And so you go out on a date with them, and then what happens? They say all the right things, so you go on a second date, and you go on a third date, and then all of a sudden, what happens? Everything that everybody prophesied about what would happen did come to pass. And you were left there feeling like, how could I have been so stupid? Like, what, what did I, like, uh, ah. When you did that, did you do it because this, like, you, you were just like, no, my friends are idiots. No. You just looked at your friends and said, in this situation, I think that my feelings and my eyes are more, are more trustworthy than my friends' words. And that's where you put your trust. And it blew up in your face. (laughs) It's the same thing. All of us make faith assumptions all the time. So it's really an issue of where are we going to put this faith? The last thing I'm going to say is I'm going to talk about three different ways of how we can live by faith. How do we do this? The first... The first is we have to see with God's eyes, not our own. In Ephesians 1, well, I, don't, I don't know where it is. I'm just going to look up here. In Ephesians 1.18, it says, I pray, that the eyes of the, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. We need our eyes to be enlightened. I'm going to say two things. 
And I hope you like write these down or like just tuck these away. Like remember this because these are two things that I do so much and they have, they are so practical and they change so much. You ask yourself two questions as you go about your day. Number one, when you're looking at some problem or something that has you stressed out, ask yourself, how would, how does God view this thing? This thing is a huge problem to me, but how, how would this, how does this look in God's eyes? If he is looking at this, which he is, how does he see this? This is big in my mind, but if I have God's eyes, how big is this really? How improbable is this really if this is in his hands? And the second thing is, ask yourself, you know what? When I'm in this situation or when I'm in whatever situation, Lord, if I were, if I were trusting you, how would I act right now? Those two questions, man, everything, problems get a whole lot smaller. What I need to do is immediately clear, and I just have to fight to make sure that, Lord, I'm going to go. As soon, as soon as it's clear to me what I need to do, I'm just going to go there. That's it. When I'm in this compromising situation with so-and-so, and they're like, hey, let's run back to my place, and I'm like, hmm, how would I respond to this if I was trusting you, God, to bring me happiness rather than looking at what is before me right now? How would I respond? And when that's clear, I respond that way. Or when I got this paper that's due and I'm stressed out and I'm so stressed out that everybody that I come across, I'm short to, I got a bad temper, I'm like annoyed with them as if they, it's their, it's their, they're the reason why I'm in the dilemma that I am. When I'm stressed out, I just ask myself, Lord, is this that big of a deal? Like, how do you see this? Is this, is, is, is my fate tied to whatever I'm worried about. Can you deal with this? Or you find yourself in another situation where you're just, you're just looking at whatever and you're like, Lord, I need to do something, but I feel so powerless to be able to do it. How would I act if I put the ball in your court and if I trusted you? That leads us to the second how, and that is just to pray. <laughs> just do it. Just just pray. It's like prayer, it doesn't have to be complex. It doesn't have to be like this long, like, you know, sonnet or something. It just, it just, just say, just talk to God like he is there because he is there and he is listening. And as we said earlier, he rewards those who trust him. Just ask him and just put the ball in his court and say, Lord, I'm really worried about this, and I need you to deal with this. And I, I confess it. I'm, I'm not strong enough to deal with this by myself. Could you take care of this and then do everything that you can to make sure that you believe him? Some of us, we get really stressed out about some stuff, and then we pray, and then after we pray, we're just as stressed out afterwards. I've been there. It's because I never actually believed God to begin with. I never gave him control. It was like I prayed. I was like, all right, do something. But it's still in my control, and I still need to work this out. I still need to figure this out. I still need to put all these pieces together. Pray and actually give it to him. Actually trust him. Actually, he, you have no idea. Jesus, did you see how frustrated he was getting over a lack of faith? He likes to deal with your problems. I don't get it. 
Look, a lot of like people come to me and say, hey, deal with my problems. I don't want to. But God wants to deal with all of your problems. He like in, 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 in a mind-blowing way, he wants to deal with every single one of your problems. And he gets frustrated with you when you try to deal with it by yourself without him. Isn't that crazy? He wants to work out the problems in your life. He just wants you to trust him and to believe that he's actually going to show up and come through. That is so cool. That is so cool. The last thing now, you know what? I was not going to say this, but I can't not say this because it's so good. In Genesis 18, 14, it says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And it also says this. I, I'm, I, I could not say this. It, it says in Mark eleven twenty two and 24, perfect. It says, and Jesus answered them. He's talking to the disciples. Have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. What is he saying by this, that this mountain be thrown into the sea? He is saying that the law of faith is more real than the laws of nature. That the, in the high, God has made a hierarchy when it comes to laws where the laws of nature are not higher than the law of faith. The law of faith goes above that. It goes above physics. This is what he is saying. He is saying physics the laws of science, these are all very true, but there is another power. There is a, to quote Chronicles of Narnia, there's a deeper magic here. And that, that is the law of faith. And that's where miracles come in. And look, you, you may not like that. You may be like, oh, look, this, the world is this empirical. It's this is scientifically this and that. Look, I like science too, but I didn't write this. This is what he said. And this is the God who spoke the earth into existence. So I'm going to listen to him. The last thing it says, though, the last thing it says, well, not the last thing it says, the last thing I have to say about how, how we put our trust in God, it's, it's simple. We've got to read the Bible. There's over 7,000 promises in the Bible about like, promises God made for us. But we've got to know what those promises are. We have to read the Bible in order to know what he's like and why he's trustworthy and then what those promises are. They're there. It's like, it's like, if, it's like if you didn't have a driver's license and someone gave you like a Maserati or a Porsche or an F-150 King Ranch Edition, whatever car it is, but someone gave you this sick car, but you don't have a driver's license. So just like your Bible sits on the shelf every day, that car sits in the driveway every day, unused, but totally available to make your life so much sweeter. We got to read the Bible. The band can go ahead and come back up. When we talk about faith, this is it. This is living the gospel. It's not looking at things and being like, okay, I got to make sure I don't do this. I got I, I to make sure I don't do this and this and this. It is, I just have to look at God and believe him. Believe he is who he says he is. 
that's it. That's all he's asking for. It's not like special. It's not like something overly complex. Am I going to trust you to be who you say you are? We said last week that the gospel has the power to change our lives and to free us and to see forgiveness happen in our lives so that sin, which controlled us and binded us down, it no longer has to mark our lives. And God has proven his faithfulness to us. And he says that living out Christianity is not complex and it's not do this and do this and do this. It's just trust me. And if you trust me, all this other stuff will come and it'll come. Re- it'll be easy to come. It'll be very easy. It'll, it'll be natural because just as obedience is the pregnant child of faith. Oof. We just have to use this faith towards God and not put this faith towards ourselves. That's it. Let's pray. Father God, we need to trust you. We desperately need to trust you. Whatever it is that we trust that is not you, help us, Lord God, not to trust that. Not to look at that as our hope. Lord God, my prayer for everyone tonight is not just that we would see how important faith is, but that we would let you move the mountains in our lives that are there. Help us to trust you. Help us to be honest with you. Help us to put the ball into your court and not try to deal with it on our own. Lord, you don't want us to be stressed. You don't want us to be overwhelmed. You don't want us to run back into old loves and old sins. Lord God, you want us to walk in freedom and you've made it pretty clear that this can be done through faith. Just trusting you. Trusting in your faithfulness. And continuing on in that trust. Help us, Lord God. Speak to our hearts. Free us from the stress and the weights of this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. As we sing these last few songs, and um, as, as we worship the Lord, I really want everyone to take some time and to think through what are the mountains in your life? What are the things that you have let be overwhelming to you where you were trying to really deal with this on your own yes i just want you to give that to the lord i want you to put the ball in his court and 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 i am asking that you wouldn't you wouldn't walk out of here until you've put the ball into his court and that you would walk in that faith keep the ball in his court let him be in control and keep it there What are those mountains? What are those mountains in your life that you are that you are letting stress you out, hold you down? Think through and be honest with him. He is listening and he will respond.